Okay, everyone, welcome. Thank you for joining. Tonight is my uh, grandma's yard site. My beloved grandma, we called her Baba. And she's, uh, her name is uh, my father and my mother are sponsoring this year in her honor. Her honor is Chana Tzivya. Her name is Chana Tzivya Bas Bebicheskel. May this be discussed for her holy, her holy soul. She was a very, very, very spectacular woman. I believe one of the people that left the deepest impression on my soul and my life. Uh, she was just the most lovable person in the world. And loved everybody with a boundless love. She was just so, so special. This is my grandma, who's uh, yard site this tonight. Um, and it's very special. And it's, you see, special soul, because her birthday is the same day. She passed away on her birthday. And it says that only by really special people that happens. And it's also, she was a real Hasid, Hasidista, a Hasidic woman. And in the Hasidic world where we come from, in the Polish Hasidic world, like the greatest yard site, other than the Bolshemtov, which is on Shavuos, but that gets sometimes overpowered by Shavuos, is, is uh, tonight, the 21st of Adar, the yard site of the saintly Rebbe Lamelech of Lazensk, who is like the, 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 the Rebbe of all of Polish Hasidism. Everything branches off from Rebbe Melach. So tonight is his yard site, and she merited to pass away on his holy yard site. So it's very special. So may her soul have a great aliyah. May she channel a lot of blessings to my family and the family of Mayon and all those who listen over here and all those who connect for much blessing, light, love, and only, only good. Okay. Tonight we're going to learn something special. This week is, we first of all, it's a special Shabbos because it's Chazak. We complete the Torah. We have a double portion, Vayakal Pakude. We complete the Torah. Not the Torah. We complete the second book of the Torah, the book of the Exodus. And may this already lead to the ultimate Exodus. But in addition to the regular reading, there is another reading this week, which is the reading of HaChodesh HaZelochem. We know that leading up to the month of Nisan, we have four special readings in which an additional Torah is taken out. An additional Torah in which after we read the seven readings, the seven portions on Shabbos morning, we add an additional reading for the what's called the Maftir. And um, this week is the fourth one. It's called HaChodesh. And basically, it's an alert that the month of Nisan is coming and we should start preparing for Pesach. That's basically what it is. In the time when the temple was there, it was meant to alert everybody to prepare their Paschal uh, lamb uh, as the as the Passover was coming. Uh, today's days, hopefully this year, we'll do the same. Uh, we'll already be able to do that, and the Holy Temple will be standing in Jerusalem. Um, but the what is the reading? The reading is the initial mitzvah that God speaks to Moshe, and he says to him, instructing him about the, about the exodus, the upcoming exodus. This is before the plague of the firstborn. And the opening verse starts with the instruction of how to set the Jewish calendar. That the Jewish calendar should be set with the month of Nisan being the first month. First of all, God is instructing that the Jewish calendar will primarily be a lunar calendar. The months will be decided by the new moon. In addition to that, that the first month of the 12 months begins in spring, even though technically in the, it's in the middle of the year, because the year, Hebrew year, starts in, 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 um, in fall the end of the summer, the beginning of fall on Rosh Hashanah. So it's, it's the first month, however, is in the middle of the year. It's kind of 
complex. That's the way it is on the Jewish calendar. It's a complex calendar. It has two beginnings, which part of that will be understood in the class today. So um, what we are reading is that extra portion. And again, being that that leads into Moshe, God instructing Moshe of how to prepare for the, the exodus by the offering of the of the of the Paschal Lamb, the carbon Pesach, and 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 putting the blood on top of the doorposts, which was only done the first year, but then the instruction to do this special sacrifice is an ongoing instruction for all of eternity. It's only that it was interrupted now that there is no temple standing. But when the temple will be returned to us, we will go back to that great mitzvah of celebrating Passover, Pesach, the way we should. So we read that every year as a as a preparation for. So the first verse is, Achodesh Azalochem. This month should be to you, Rosh Chadash, in the beginning of all months, which is celebrating the month of Nisan. Now the month of Nisan is going to be next week, Thursday. So this Shabbos really is going to have a triple significance. Number one, it is going to be the Shabbos, we, which, in which we call the Shabbos Chazak, because we only have four of those every year, because we take strength in completing a book. Uh, number two, it is also going to be the, the, the Shabbos, which we add the special reading called Parsha Sachodesh, and we'll take out another Torah. Number three is that we're also going to do the special blessing for the new month, which is uh, called Shabbos Mevorchim, in which we bless the new month. So we have three powerful things this Shabbos. Um, so what we're going to do in today's class is we're going to focus on the 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 the, the redemption, the gil of the redemption, which is the theme of all three of all three of these things. We're completing the book of redemption. The second book of the Torah is the book of redemption. And it completes with building the tabernacle, which the tabernacle is the first prototype of the first, the first um, example of the first run of a temple. Because after that, we then this was like a preview of the temple in Jerusalem. And the ultimate tabernacle is going to be in the third temple, a home for God in this world. So the conclusion of that is very much messianic, very much having to do with the up and coming redemption that we are waiting for, so, so, so hopeful that it's going to happen any moment. And it's also the theme of uh, the month of Nisan, because Nisan is the month of the past redemption. And as we're going to see today, it is the, uh, according to the sages, the month that we expect the redemption to happen more than any other time of the year. Although the redemption can happen any time, um, it is its most opportune and appropriate time is in the month of Nisan. May it be this year. And in addition to that, it is so that's the the, the, the related to Shabbos Mavarchim Nisan, and also related to the Chodesh Azalochem preparations for Passover, which Pesach is redemption, which is also the preview of the future redemption. So on all levels, this is the right subject to talk about. Now, so we're going to talk about the the this that the sages say an interesting thing. Right in the beginning of the Torah, the Torah begins in Genesis and Bereshit. The Torah begins with the story of creation. It's in the beginning God created heaven and earth. Now, Rashi, right at the beginning of the Torah, makes a comment taken from the Midrash, in which the Midrash says that the Torah really ought to have started in the midst of the book of the Exodus. That means the Torah should not have started with, The Torah 
should have begun with the mitzvah of sanctifying the moon. Why? Because it's the first mitzvah that's given to the Jewish people. Setting the calendar is the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. So that should have then been the the Torah should have begun with that. Because the Torah is not meant to be a storybook. This Torah is meant to be an instruction guide on mitzvah observance. The verse, now, even though there were mitzvahs given to humanity, like the mitzvah to be fruitful and multiply, which is already given to Adam, then there were seven laws given to Noah, to Noah, or six already given to Adam and Noah, they added in a seventh one, which was given to all mankind. And then there were added mitzvahs given to Abraham, to Avram, the mitzvah of circumcision for him and his descendants. And then there is another mitzvah added, which is the mitzvah, the prohibition of eating of the sciatic nerve. So mitzvahs slowly are introduced. But these are all, again, individual mitzvahs. They don't apply to Israel as a unique nation. But the this is the first commandment to the Jewish people. The Torah was meant to be given as an instruction for Israel, for the Jewish people, through which to elevate the entire world. So that therefore the Torah should have started in, in, in Shemos, which is, means in the second book, the Exodus, in the third Torah portion, Parshas Bo, in the middle of it, which is this instruction. So the sages see this as the right place to start the Torah. Then they ask the question, so why did it start with Bereshis? They give an interesting answer. They say that the reason the Torah started with Bereshis was that God wants to avoid a very big problem. That a day will come when God will take the Jewish people and take bring them to the land of Israel, plant them in that land, and that will become the headquarters of the divine in this world and of all godly channeling through all the mitzvahs, the temple will stand there and so on and so forth. The nations in the world will definitely challenge that because there will be a lot of forces of darkness that will stand and in the way and try to stop the implementation of the divine purpose because that's the way God set up the world that every single thing that has meaning is challenged or else it's, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be satisfying. There's always a challenge and a difficulty and we always have to surmount all the difficulties. So the biggest challenge that there is is that the Jewish people shall have the land of Israel. The nations in the world will cry out and say, you thieves, you've stolen the land of the ancient inhabitants who live there. Sound familiar, right? That's what they're arguing today as well. The entire world fights for the Palestinian cause, um, which is what was predicted that will happen. It's almost like the script was written way before that this is what happened. So God says, let me give you the answer. For that reason, God altered the Torah and began the Torah with the story of creation in order so that he can demonstrate, we can have a, a book coming directly from God, which says, I created the world, therefore I own the planet, and I can choose. I have a little piece of real estate, although the rest of the world I've given to humanity, and you guys can figure out which land is going to be France, which land is going to be Gibraltar, which land is going to be Korea, and which land is going to be whatever, uh, um, Colombia. All that is your decisions. You will work through civilization, will work its way and make its borders and boundaries of who lives in which land, which ethnic groups and peoples live in which countries. But the land of Israel is my land, God says, and I will take my unique nation that I have chosen and I will give them that land. I created it, it is mine, and that's why. So again, the only reason we have the entire story of Genesis and everything that followed until the story of the Exodus with the first mitzvah is because God wants to give us an answer that we should stand proudly, which means we ought not to say to the world that Israel belongs to us because of the declaration of uh, in, in 1948 
and because of the U, the UN's decision of, uh, of 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 giving Israel to the battered Jewish people to find a solution for the uh, for the anti-Semitism and persecutions and so on and so forth, it is ours because God brought us in and gave us that land and so on and so forth. Um, so that's the reason he put it. Okay, that's the story. That's what Rashi says. So according to that, the Torah should have started in in, in Parshas Bo, from Achodesh Hazem, from the first mitzvah, but it didn't. It was altered to start with the story of creation. Now, whenever we know there is a should have, it really means that it really does. In other words, it's not just a should have. If it should have, that means it really is that way. What that really means is that the Torah has an internal and an external. The internal Torah starts with the mitzvah of Achodesh Hazem, that we are going to read the Shabbos. That is the internal beginning of the Torah. It means that's the inner intention. What do we mean? The internal, that means that's the soul of the Torah. That's like the 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 external um, the outer crust or the outer the outer the to- the outer setting of the Torah. There's the, the soul of the Torah and the external. So there's a two dimensions to the Torah. Now this idea that the Torah has two dimensions it starts it has two beginnings. There is what is visible to the eye is that it starts with Bereshis. But there is a deeper beginning which starts in with the mitzvah of the Fits very well also with the idea that the, there is a question um, when the world was created. There's a question of when the world was created. Um, one opinion says that the world was created in the month of Tishrei. When we have Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, that's Tishrei. Again, that's the period October time. Uh, September, October, Rosh Hashanah time. That is the beginning of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. That's the time of creation. And actually, it was the twenty-fifth day of the day, the month of Elul. And this, and six days later, was when God created man. And that's when we commemorate the beginning of the year, the birthday of the world. But there is another opinion in the sages who say that the world was actually created in the month of Nisa. So you have here an argument in Tishrei or in Nisa, and the way it is resolved is that in practical actuality, the world was created in the month of Tishrei. But in intention, the thought to create it was six months earlier in the month of Tishrei, in the month of Nisan. It's hard to imagine what that means if there's no really time starts together with creation, So, but that's a philosophical question not for now. But that's the idea, is that we resolve it as follows. The practical, literal creation happened in the month of Tishrei, but the thought to creation happened in the month of Nisan. Now, if you can, and what, so what's really interesting is that would fit so beautifully with what we just said. There is an external story and there's an internal story. Just like in the Torah, we have the, what is more apparent to the eye, which is the external. When you open up a, 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 a chumish, when you open up a Bible, when you open up scripture, 
you see the Torah starting with the story of creation. And it's only you need to consult the sages to get a deeper look and find that to pinpoint that the Torah is really starting a book and a couple of chapters into the second volume. That's really where the inner soul of the Torah begins. So just like it is in the Torah, that there is an external and an internal, the same is also with creation. There is the physical, there is the actuality of creation, which fits very much with the actual story of the Torah, which the Torah begins with the story of creating the world. But the intention of creation, the thought of creation, is in the month of Nisan. Okay? Which the month of Nisan is when God is instructing Moshe about the first commandment, which is to sanctify the month of Nisan. So you see a parallel happening over here. When we're talking about action and thought, action is external. Action is the physical. But the the soul of something is its thought, its intention. And the soul is hidden. You need to go a little deeper to see the soul. On the most superficial level, you don't see the soul. You see only the, the, the actions. When you look deeper, you see the intention. So both in creation and in Torah, you have an internal and an external, and both of them align one with each other. The internal of creation is Nisan, because that's when God is thinking to create the world. The external of creation is Tishrei, because that's when God literally creates the world. The same is also in Torah. The internal element of Torah is Nisan, because that's when God is giving the mitzvah to the Jewish people, and he begins his relationship with Israel in particularly, because that happened by the Exodus. He takes the Jewish people out of Egypt, and he takes us to Mount Sinai, and he gives us the Torah, which is all a Nisan phenomenon. But then that is surrounded by a broader story, and that is God creating time and space. God is creating the world. And that happened in action. When did that happen? In Tishrei. So we have a dual existence, both in Torah and in in um, both in Torah and in actual the creation itself, a double story, a soul and a body for both. We can call it the, the external and the internal would be the soul and the body. The soul of the Torah matches the soul of the world. Both of them are related to the month of Nisan, and then there is the body of the Torah matching the body of the world in which the body of the Torah speaks about creation, which is like the body of creation, which which happens in Tishrei. Okay. So once we understand that, now let's take a little deeper. What is the difference? No, then we'll have really a question. If the, 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 the idea and the purpose of creation is it was in the intent was really Nisan. So why did God wait to actually create it a period of time later? I mean, for God, it doesn't take long. The thought didn't have to take six months until he can materialize it. It could have happened instantaneously. The thought could have come immediately together with the actual creation. And the thought would have the thought and the action would have been in a split second, and both of them could have been together. But God intentionally must have had a reason not to do so. So he intended that it should be as follows. First, the thought. And then six months later, we have an actual creation. So why is that? 
So let's get a, a little bit of a better understanding in general between these the dynamics of these two months. On the Jewish calendar, we say the primary times of connecting to God and, and celebrating festivals and so on and so forth are on these two months. Nisan is the month of Passover, Pesach, which leads into not just the first holiday, but also the other biblical holiday, Shavuot. Shavuot is just the conclusion of Pesach because it's a 49-day count of 50 days until we reach Shavuot. So Shavuot is really the conclusion of the Exodus, which was leading up the, the trek to Sinai and receiving the Torah. So, But then it's Nisan, which is the headquarters of that experience. And then from Nisan we go to the other side of the calendar, and that is six months later. And we encounter the seventh month of the calendar, the beginning of the seventh month, exactly ah, the polar other side. And that's when we have Tishrei. And what do we have in Tishrei? The high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then finally the festivities of Sukkot. Sukkot is like the most festive time. So we have the three biblical holidays, but the three biblical holidays are really an expression of these two dynamics, Nisan and Tishrei. And in between them, we have the what we call the mundane part of the year, speckled with little holidays, Hanukkah, Purim, and the like. But the primary emphasis in our connection to God are on these two months. And that's when our entire religious observance and our spirituality is high, is, reaches a climax. It reaches a far more intensity. It's in these months. So the energy, however, is very different between Tishrei and, and Nisan. And the primary difference between them is that in Nisan is a time when God is being enormously kind. God's influence to the world and God's revelation is flowing in uninhibited. Hashem is kind of releasing or revealing himself to the creation like it happened during the time of Exodus where God revealed himself. And all the incredible miracles that happened during that time, Pesach, an enormous time of miracles, which we commemorate Passover and so on. Then God comes down to the mountain and he gives us the Torah. In other words, the Nisan time is a time when God is, is hyperly active. The month of Tishrei is the time when God is sitting in judgment for the world. But, we, but the way it really works is, is that we become very engaged and very involved. It begins with a month of preparation, which is the month of Elul. And then even when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we know God is sitting on the throne, but we take the shofar and we get into high gear. It is expected of us to really generate within ourselves very, very deep repentance and a deep, uh, 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 and a deep spiritual awakening. We pray and we pray for hours and hours. There are 10 days of repentance. The, the peak of it is, 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 is Yom Kippur. But it's all connected to, to, to our worship. And our, we, we petition God very strongly. And of course, God is responding. So what then is the dynamics between the two? In a relationship between us and God, in Nisan, God is coming close to us. In Tishrei, we are climbing up close to him. We are ascending to him, and in in Nisan, God is descending. It also explains the reason why we spoke about this many times. In the month of Tishrei, we pray for rain. We start speaking. It starts the rain season, and that's when the, the, the climax of Sukkot, again, this climax of the entire 
Tishrei experiences Sukkot, Sukkot, and the end of Sukkot is like when it really Sukkot reaches its peak. Shmini Yatzeres is the conclusion. And on Shmini Yatzeres, we pray for rain. We initiate the prayers for rain. Um, on Pesach, we stop praying for rain and we start praying or we start mentioning the power of dew. Now, rain and dew are both life-giving. Dew is wetness, it's a moisture, it's a, and it gives life, and rain is also. But there's a difference between the two, is that dew, it, it just descends with waters rising from the lower atmosphere. It's like a heavenly, it's like a bestowal of wetness completely coming from above. Rain is something that requires... Um, the way rain works is that there is a heating up of the atmosphere, which causes mist to rise, and the and the waters, um, uh, the waters, and the waters then come back down, and form clouds, and then the clouds are blown by the winds, and the rainstorms come in. And the sages therefore say that it's not only the physical phenomenon between dew and rain that dew descends automatically and rain comes through some kind of a process of rising waters from below, but also in the in terms of the, the gift of rain and dew is, is different, that rain we have to deserve. God says, I only make it rain. You see, God very much conditions rain on the deservance. For, in, in the recital of the Shema, we say, God says, if you'll listen to me, I will provide you with rain. If you won't abide my commandments, I will hold back. I will, I, will, I will shut down. I will cause the heavens to become constipated. I will close the Asras HaShemayim. I'll close that. But the sages say that the dew is never withheld. That that kind of the gift of that water, which is that, that liquid that is needed for life, which is dew, God gives it unconditionally. Rain is conditional. So and so the physical is reflecting the spiritual. So what does it mean? It it's exactly what we were talking about. The season of dew is Pesach, pa- Passover, is the month of Nisan. Because Nisan is the time of divine revelation. It's where God is emerging out of his own volition, out of his own decision. He's initiating. He's loving. He's being generous. He's being kind. He's being super revealing. That's happening in the month of, of, of Nisan. Tishrei, God is waiting for us to, to get close to him. He's, he's, he desires the relationship, but he wants the relationship to be on the, be based on our work and our connection to him. Therefore, we have to have merits. We build up our merits for all the year. God is judging. And based on the judgment, he is then providing for the world. So if you really, really zero in the difference then between Tishrei and Nisan, is Tishrei is the world's rising to God. Nisan is Hashem's influence from above. In both of them, we manage to elicit blessings. In Tishrei and in Nisan, we are being blessed. That's why it's a festival. There's so much godly blessing flowing. Festivals are times of a lot of blessing. A lot of flow of godly goodness to the world. But there is a difference. In Tishrei, it's generated by us. And in Nisan, it's just a gift from above. As a result of that, it will also, it will also define a major, major difference between these two um, flows. Tishrei, since it is dependent on us, being that we are limited and we are finite, 
The creation is finite. We take each and every one of us. We're finite beings. We live in the world for finite time. We, we occupy finite space. Our minds have a finite ability. Our emotions are only can only love to a certain degree. We can understand to a certain degree. We can give to a certain degree. Our entire capacity is all limited. And because of our limitations and our capacity limited, therefore our reaching and our connection to God is also limited. So if we're the ones pumping the lever and juicing the juice, what kind of juice is going to is going to flow? A finite juice, a finite revelation of God. It's going to be a godly revelation. It's going to be a godly input, but it's going to be a godly input with some restrictions and limitations on. That's why let's take a look what happens in Tishrei. God created the natural world. What did we say earlier? We spoke that in Tishrei, God's the time when God created. What did God create? He created the world. He created the world. He created a system of nature. He created the natural order. The natural order is where there are limitations and boundaries. That's the definitions of nature. And therefore, what does God judge us on Tishrei? On our life. How much life does God give us? Finite life. He gives us finite blessings. He gives us whatever parnasa we're going to get, whatever livelihood we're going to get. He gives us health. He gives us life. But we know that until Mashiach comes, our life is finite. We live to a certain to a certain uh, amount of time. We wish each other a very, very wonderful life of 120. But there is a limit to it. No one is expecting to live forever. Until Mashiach times, which today's days, we're already there. So we should start blessing each other that we will live forever. But in essentially, lifespan and the world and all that is all finite. Tishrei is a time of finite blessings. The reason to its limitation, its boundaries, if it's coming from God, why isn't it infinite? Because it's generated by the finite partner. It's God and the world. It's generated by us. We're finite, so we pump only finite blessing. And that's expressed in the rain, the month of Tishrei. Um, that's also very interesting. In the beginning, the story of creation, which happens in Tishrei, Yut expresses a name of God. God is doing but God is doing on worldly terms. He is, he is operating with constraints, with limit, limited constraints. God is putting on constraints in his relationship to us. That's why in the beginning of creation, what does it say? Bereishis. In the beginning, bara Elohim. Elohim creates. Elohim is the name of God where God is funneling with, with constriction, with limitations. And therefore, we know that all of our blessings we receive throughout the entire year come from the month of Tishrei. That's why we spend so much time praying that we should all be blessed with the phenomenal year. But whatever we're getting, all those blessings are all what, what is coming to us within the natural configuration, within the natural order. You know, you're married, you want to have children. God set up a system of 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 that of procreation it's not a miracle it is a miracle because we know everything is a miracle but when a couple gets married and they have a child it's not celebrated as a miracle it's kind of predictable that if unless they're going to stop it through birth control and so on and so forth it's inevitable they're going to have a child sometimes there's a problem god forbid and if they don't have any children and they go to the doctors and they can't have a child, God forbid. And doctors say, naturally, there is something. They do all kinds of tests and they see this couple sadly cannot have any children. So then we need a miracle. And so Tishrei, however, is not where that is going to be produced. 
It's not going to happen on Rosh Hashanah. Although it's a good idea to pray on Rosh Hashanah for children, for, for couples that need a miracle to have a child, but that's not the source from where that miracle for that for that blessing will drop into the world. If you are praying that you should find a suitable a suitable match, and it's not a miracle to find you a suitable match, you're a half decent human being that should have a a, a, a a suitable match to find. It's not a miracle. It's you know God created men and women, and hopefully you know we find the one that suits us. And God initially, when he creates the world, creates it that we should find uh, there should be a, someone suitable for us. So getting married and then having children, it's all good prayers for Tishrei because that's when all blessings in the natural world. It's naturally conceivable that you'll make a living. A little more, a little less, all based on the divine blessings, but it all belongs to the Tishrei. Nisan, however, is a whole different it's a whole different system. Being that God is the one who initiates, it has nothing to do with us. We don't trigger it. We don't create it. We are we are unworthy. God did not take the Jewish people out of Israel, out of Egypt, because of their worthiness. God was being God. He was going, he acted as God acts in an infinite, out of his infinite goodness. He showered us with his love unconditionally, not based on anything and because of that's why what happened in the month of Nisan is miracles come to the world. And miracles means no boundaries. The essence of a miracle means no boundaries. What does that mean? A couple comes out of the doctor's office. They were told, the lab test told them they will never have children, God forbid. So if you're operating, if your relationship with God is that you believe that God can only operate within nature, and God forbid that God, a couple can give up. They can feel terrible, say, so I give up. But if they recognize, they remember the story of the Exodus, that God is bigger than nature, higher than the world. Not only is he bigger than the world, but he interacts with the world from a transcendental, infinite place and sometimes showers the world with infinite blessings. Then your hopes are for the month of Nisan. Because the month of Nisan is when that's when God engages because of coming and boundless. That's why Nisan is the time for miracles. And that's why what happened in the literal story, the first time we celebrated the month of Nisan was the Exodus. What does Exodus mean? Going out of Egypt, going out from a certain system. Deeper than that, shattering that system, transcending the system. And Egypt, in the broader sense, means all constriction. All systems. And that's why the going out of Egypt was not from the name of Elohim, because the name of Elohim is God with boundaries, rather the name Yudke Vavke, which represents God undressing himself from all boundaries and revealing himself as he truly is transcendent and infinite. And in his all of his infinity, he descends into the world as he is, busts and breaks all boundaries and gives us infinite goodness and kindness, even if all the experts say it's impossible. So that's the beauty of the month of Nisan, and it's into two in the word Nisan. Nisan is from the root of the word Nisan, is nais. Nais means miracles. Two times of the year. So now we'll also understand what makes perfectly sense, why creation happened in Tishrei, and, and, um, and Exodus 
happened in Nisan because each one belongs in their in their place. When God is putting limitations and boundaries, defining Himself, that's when creation should happen because that's what creation is: God creating systems, limited systems. In Nisan, God is in, in, in Nisan is where God is revealing Himself as is beyond all systems. He's channeling His infinity. For that reason, that's the right time to break those very systems and bring liberation and freedom. And each and every one can get out of our own constrictions and our own systems because we all feel trapped in the various different negative habits or negative memories or, or, or traumas or whatever, whatever stuff we have that bog us down, which we feel some stuck in. So the month of Nisan is the time of unstucking. With what? Just with pure faith. Just, be, just because God wants, we just have to make ourselves willing to accept that, that liberation that God is providing without expect, not on any terms. Hashem just wants us to believe that he can do it. And he does it for us every Passover. And that's what Pesach is all about. Once we get this understanding, now let's go back. And then we can and, and, and try to figure out so if creation there really belongs to, if creation is God setting borders and boundaries, God setting up a system, and that's why the creation belongs to the month of Tishrei. So it seems to contradict the whole idea that we said earlier, because we said earlier that creation is dual. There's two parts to creation. There's the external creation which is Tishrei, when God created it. But then there is the thought of creation, which the thought of creation happened in Nisan. Now, if creation means borders and boundaries and systems and the natural world, if that's what creation is, not Exodus, creation, then why would God think the creation in Nisan when God is being fully expressive in all of his infinity, beyond all limitations and all, all boundaries. When God, is per, when God is being miraculous, why would he then think of a creation which the very definition of creation is not miracles, is the systems, the order, the, 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 the orders and the limitations and the boundaries. It wouldn't make, it, it doesn't seem to, it, it doesn't seem to fit that in, 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 um, in Nisan, God should be thinking of the very, very defined order of creation. But being that that is the case, that God thought the creation um, in the month of Nisan, what that really means is that we need to rethink what creation is. Now we have to go back to creation and start thinking are we really as finite as we really think we are? Is our existence really so limited? Are we really time-bound? Is our physical existence really an existence meant to be temporary? Is everything in our lives meant to be with limitations and boundaries? Is it really true that you can't have too much of a good thing? And good things don't last forever? Is that really true? Maybe it's not. And the truth is, it's not. And the reason for that is because when God thought about creation, God was in infinite mood, in infinite mode, not in finite mode. 
which means that creation, its very spark, its very seed, is not its finite, it's not its, it's not its finitude. And what it really means is that the essence of creation is not creation. The essence of creation is God. And it's not even about creation, it's about God. So that changes everything. At the core, we're not creations. We're really, we're really vessels for him. So let me, so let's, so, and, so let's try to like, so then define what is creation. The, in the purpose of creation, as we learn in Hasidus, Hasidus reveals to us, only the Torah of Mashiach, only the future Torah could have revealed all this to us. And it says to us as follows. The intentions of why God created a finite limited world is because God for his, where he, where his infinity can reside. In the words of the Hasidic masters, God desired a home in the low. That means he, the low means a limited, finite, constricted existence. The low means our physical bodies. With all of our hangups, with all of our darkness. If you're ever frustrated about yourself, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you look at all your failures, at all your faults, at all your mistakes, at all, all, all the frustrations, all your weaknesses, all your darknesses. And that's exactly the law. That when we say God dreams of a vessel for him, God dreamt of you <laughs> and me. With all that makes us so frustrated with who we are and what we are, that means low. You have a better idea for low? I think I qualify very well for low. Do you too? Think about it. Think about how many times you get so aggravated with yourself of how foolish and sometimes stupid and, 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 and sloppy and unsuccessful and limited and forgetful and unreliable. And that's all part of the low. That's the opposite of the divine, infinite, perfect, right? The imperfect. The imperfect is the low. That's what he desired to have a home in the law. What, what was his desire? That he will manifest himself in that law. So he's creating a law, but the purpose of the law is that the law should facilitate what is even beyond the high. What is beyond the high? What is the ultimate, ultimate essence and truth of everything? The ultimate, ultimate essence wants to reside and reveal himself in the law. But here's a big problem. So how can a imperfect vessel, how can a limited temporary being facilitate an eternal, infinite, and boundless, boundless being? The two will, it will clash. How can it be? How can a finite world host an infinite God? How can an, a lowly dark world facilitate the greatest light? With that, we have to say that it's not like there was a, a dark world floating somewhere in the universe. And God took a little ride on his chariot that we learned sometimes about this chariot and that chariot. And he spotted it. And he said, hey, that world out there, let me grab it. Let me make something out of it. That's not what happened. 
How is there a low dark? Where did that come from? Where did creation create itself? Creation didn't create itself. So where did this sloppy being that we might look at ourselves as, where did we pop out of? Where did we come out of? Where did we start? Where did it all begin? It all began in the infinite. It all began in God. That means he dreamt of us. That means, and it couldn't be about us because if it would have been about us, that means that we have to be there already that you should dream about us. It's about him. He's the only reality. So it's, so then the fact that we, we pop up on the radar is because he's bringing us up in the radar. And he's bringing us there because there's something intriguing in him and about him. That means our true definition of us and our limited selves is really the, the infinite, not us. But being that the infinite wants to do something really super cool, to create the total antithesis, to have the smallest host the biggest, to get married to a finite, to a finite world, to make the most impossible thing happen, that a finite reality should be able to unify itself and become one with an infinite being. So he unpurposely creates us and makes us with our limitations and our boundaries. But what's our, but, 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 but again, the truth of everything is the, the intention of the maker that's generating it. That's a truth because that's, that's its core. That's its nucleus. That's where it's growing out of. So the truth of a finite entity is the infinite being's desire that the finite should be. But the desire was not that the finite should be finite. The desire was that the finite should marry the infinite. So what's the true definition of the finite world? And when I speak about a finite world, I mean all the way down to the little small Joe Schmo of us, of ourselves. Again, and the fact that we are low, because that was part of the desire that we should be low with all of our challenges and difficulties and hardships and boundaries. Is that the true, is that the intention was that through a, a, a process of 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 a of a journey of self-refinement and purification through implementing the the divine instruction of Torah and mitzvot, we will fashion ourselves, we will remake ourselves, we will develop ourselves. Yes, our finite weak bodies and our limited temporal existence into a vessel and into a facilitator and into the wife, if you may say, um, of the of of the of the infinite being. And then we have uncovered our real truth that we were never finite to begin with. We're finite, but our purpose is to join with the infinite, which means that our nucleus is really infinite because our true definition is the infinite will for our limitations. That's our true that's our true existence. And that's the reason why our creation didn't happen in Tishrei, it happened in Nisan. Because Nisan is the time when God is being infinite. God is just it's Nisan is not the energy of constrictions and limitations. Nisan is the time of infinite revelation. And that's when he thinks of us, because our desire his desire for us is not our limitations, not our boundaries, but that our 
that our boundaries should transcend our bodies. But here's the beauty of it. He wants us not to dissolve as we receive and merge with his infinite. We should be small and big at the same time. We should be completely ourselves, comfortably ourselves, and yet be totally one with him. So we should have finite physical bodies that live, that are durable. How long? Live not a billion years, not a gazillion years, but forever and ever and ever and ever. We should have finite minds that can perceive infinite wisdom. We should have limited hearts that can experience infinite love and infinite generosity and infinite kindness. That's the Messianic age. That's the time of Mashiach. When all this will open up inside of us. We're beginning to see today in quantum physics and things like that where physicality is unleashing like power that it has. The tiniest little things can hold so much it's, these are just little, little illustrations. These are just little, it's, it's beginning to show what our physical world is going to be. But all this is going to be through a process. Now, in order for the physical and our finite world to maintain itself, to maintain its, 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 its physical properties and its definitions, when it will be bathing in infinite light and in infinite, when it will be divine revelation, God's truth will be revealed and yet we will not disappear in it. The actual creation could not have been an Esau. God had to create us in the world of Tishrei, in the mode of Tishrei. Not only did he have to create us that way, but he had to create us that way and let us be that way for 2,000 years before we even begin to start channeling God's light down through Torah and Mitzvah. You ever wonder why God waited for half of history before he started programming and allowing the downloads to happen? Because we first had to ferment into ourselves, so to speak. We first had to like develop into the, the, the definitions and take ourselves very seriously so that we can become beings that are kind of fortified and and because and, God wanted that a limited, small, finite, small, little peepsqueak like ourselves should eventually merge with him. So we first need to exist outside as if we are in existence outside of the divine with all limitations, with all boundaries. We have to buy in very strongly to the systems, to the natural limitations. It has to be in a way that miracles are not are inconceivable. And when we say a miracle, we're blown away and we say, wow, it's impossible. And slowly, gradually, we grow into the miracles. And one day comes when we suddenly re- realize that nature itself is miraculous. And that and that and that our our tininess is really, really infinite. So the, the progression, the way God creates, well, in the Torah, it's the same thing. He starts the Torah telling us a story of creation. He speaks about a story of limitation. Because God wants the Torah. See, if God would have not have opened the Torah with, with, um, with Beratius, with the story of creation. And the Torah would have only began with the nucleus of the Torah. If the Torah would have only had an inside Torah, which we said earlier, starts with Hachodesh, and would not start with Bereshis, 
What would happen is like this. You would have a world, and then you would have spectacular divine revelations, but the, 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 the divine revelations would never really, really, really become part of the creation. What it would do is it would overpower the creation. It would nullify the creation. Or even if we would become godly, we would become godly, but we would never be us. It would always be an external, an external force uh, or, um, 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 showering us with, with this infinite light. But it would never really be us. So for it to be us and to connect the two realities, to connect, just like we said earlier, the actual creation happens in Tishrei, in a time of divine constriction and limitation, in a time when God is kind of adjusting to us, to our realm, allowing us to exist as, as independent and separated from him so that we can have a truth to our existence. But as we spoke earlier, the creation could not have started with that. It had to start a Nisan. Because the purpose of it was its ultimate merger with the infinite. And had it not begun in Nisan and started in Tishrei, it would blow a fuse when Nisan is, is introduced to it. It would be completely overwhelmed by it. It wouldn't be incorporated. So Hashem starts in Nisan. But it's not only that that was his intention. It's because the real truth of the finite world is him. Not about the world. It's about God's desire of having a home. And we become the home of the world. Our true existence is God, not us. And that itself is us. That's the true us. So the same is in the Torah. God merged the two together. In the Torah, he made, so to speak, the creation side of the Torah, which is the story of Genesis. And then into that Torah that begins with Genesis and begins with Bereshis, he infuses a Chodesh HaZelochem, so which is the story of the, the Exodus. So the Exodus liberates and redefines the creation from the very get-go. In other words, when we're reading every year the story of creation, we're reading about a natural world. When we get to the story of the Exodus, we're not just in- introducing miracles, but we're also retroactively redefining nature and saying that nature was never meant to be nature. Nature was meant to be a setting where the miracles can, where miracles can, can, can occur and lift nature. That's the incredible journey of creation and the incredible journey of the world. And then at that point, miracles become natural. Because nature and miracle have 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 met, gotten married, God and the world have merged together. All of this will lead us to a very very important last and final thought. How do we get to this state of this ultimate emergence and this ultimate fusion? It, also, it, it comes about through a particular type of service that is required of us. And that um, not only is required of us, but is something that is astounding. The service that leads to this. Because again, at the end, at the end, all this happens, but it happens kind of as a merger between us and God. That's the purpose. The purpose is this fusion. 
So the service that brings it about has to be a service that is both that 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 represents represents us and God at the same time. So let's understand that for a moment. There is an argument between the sages when the future redemption is going to take place. We all say that the redemption of Egypt happened in the month of Nisan. There is no question. But regarding the up-and-coming redemption, there's an argument between Rebbe Eliezer and Rebbe Yeshua. Rebbe Eliezer, one of the great Talmudic sages, says that even though the past redemption happened on Tishrei, the future redemption is going to happen on Nisan. Sorry. Even though the past redemption happened in Nisan, but the future redemption is going to happen in Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur time, whatever, in Sukkot time. That's when we're expecting the redemption to happen. Rabbi Yeshua says, no, the past redemption had in Nisan, Benisan Nigalu, that's what's so exciting, the great redemption is, is to take place in the month of Nisan. It happened once in Nisan, it will happen again in Nisan. So the question then also, and it is explained. Well, and again, they derive it from verses. But there is what's what's the what's the underlying current over here? Why does Rebbe Leizer say it's going to take place in Tishrei, and why does Rabbi Yeshua say it's going to happen in Nisan? So the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe, says because if we take a look in in the Talmud, we find another argument between Rebbe Leizer and Rabbi Yeshua. Rebbe Eliezer says that the that the up and coming redemption is dependent on tshuva. If the Israel, if the Jewish people repent, then we will be redeemed. God forbid. If we don't repent, then there won't be redemption. God forbid. Rabbi Yeshua says that uh, the redemption is not going to be based on our redemption on our on our tshuva. Whether we do tshuva, we don't do tshuva, the redemption is going to happen. Actually, Rabbi Yeshua says that God is going to, if we don't do tshuva, God is going to like create circumstances that we're going to have to do tshuva. God is going to make us do tshuva. But again, it's, 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 and he brings a verse that it's not going to be through money you're going to be redeemed. And this is, it's, 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 it's going to be completely a divine act. So the Tzemach Tzedek says, now here you go. That's your explanation. Each one is following, when they set the calendar, they follow the energy. According to Rabbi Eliezer, being the tshuvan must be generated through our work. The month of Tishrei is when that's the time of tshuva. That's the time of repentance. Rabbi Yeshua, who holds that in Nisan we're going to be redeemed, is because Rabbi Yeshua says it's not dependent on us. It's a God. It's a it's it's a divine act. And when does God act? When is God kind of hyperactive? That's in Nisan. It's like God is waking up on the winter. He's getting. He's spring. He springs into life. And he's full of life and he's going to do things. Right? It's Hashem's new year. And it actually says, Rosh Chodesh Nisan is Rosh Hashanah for kings. God is a king. So he wakes up then. That's his, He's fresh and full of life. He's pumping with energy. And he says, what am I going to do now? Right? So that happens in the month of Nisan. So the redemption is going to come from that level. So therefore it happens in Nisan. The question, the problem, however, it is, we discussed this once, and this is a repeat of that thought, but it's worth hearing it again and relating it now. The question is that we, and, um, we accept the, the, the accepted um, time, or the accepted opinion of when the redemption is going to take place, according to, as it implies from many places, is not like Rebbe Yezer, but like Rebbe Yeshua. 
Nisan is when we have to have a heightened expectation that the redemption isn't going to happen. The problem is Maimonides, who gives us the laws of Mashiach, the laws pertaining to the future and to the time of Mashiach, says that the we that our the rule the the final verdict is that we will not be redeemed unless we do true, unless we we repent. But the Rambam concludes that the Torah promises that we will repent. In other words, it's not God forbid that if so, the redemption might never happen. God forbid the redemption will happen because the Torah promised that we will that we will that we will uh, we will repent. We will do true. But if that's the case, if the redemption is requiring tshuva, then how can we at the same time place the redemption in Nisa? It doesn't make any sense. The, again, we said that if, if it's dependent on, on, on tshuva, it should be in Tishrei because that's the time of tshuva. If we say it's in Nisa, it's because we don't require any of our work. It's, it's, it's a completely divine, it's, a God, it's, God's, it's, it's happening on God's, uh, on God's watch. He's doing his thing. But then hold it, if you're saying it, we have to do tshuva, you, so you're you're, 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 we are, we're taking two opposites and bringing it together. It shouldn't be that way. So it's a long discussion, but let me just give just a, just a point. The point is that there is no question that Mashiach's coming is not going to be just a gift from God. Mashiach's coming is going to be the accumulation reward, so to speak. It's not even reward. The accumulative, um, um, outcome of all the godly light that we've brought into the world through us overcoming our challenges and doing all the right things, difficulties and hardships, all the goodness done by mankind and all the Torah and mitzvahs that have been done by the Jewish people from Sinai until today, the accumulation of it brought down so much godly light, but all that light is hidden and all that light is going to explode and reveal itself. In the time of the redemption. All, that's why everything, the infinite light will be revealed, infinite blessings, infinite goodness, no more death, no more darkness, no more. So there's no question that it involves us. Problem, however, is, as we mentioned earlier, we are finite. And therefore, whatever we generate has a certain finitude to it. Because our cap- capabilities are all finite. Because we are finite. God created us to be finite. As we discussed earlier. And since we are finite in our, in our, he created us to be low, low with all of our limitations. So even when we do good, we do goodness with a limit. But if the outcome has to be the infinite, how can the infinite be produced by the finite? If we're going to say it's going to be a complete gift from God, God will shower us with an infinite goodness, then it's wonderful and it's great, but it's never really going to connect to us not going to be true to us. It might even cause us to like get dissolved and overpowered by that enormous light because we didn't produce it. So it's not kind of connected to us. So what we really need to do over here is create a hybrid. What's the hybrid? The hybrid is that we, finite beings, with all of our finitude, coming from our finite limited physical selves, with the definitions of our physical bodies, should be, should actually be doing infinite goodness. How can a finite being do infinite goodness? So the answer is the story of Israel and the Jewish people. The Jewish people 
based on statistics and based on the amount of pressure and based on the amount of difficulty should not have been here physically and definitely spiritually we should have been already completely assimilated amongst the nations. And the amount of challenges and tests and, and difficulties, I will say particularly the amount of darkness that there is just in the last 30 years since the Rebbe has been hot, has hot hit his face and we don't see, we don't. it's almost like the world is leader, leaderless and you're watching anti-Semitism and difficulties and hardship and concealment and heartbreak and indescribable suffering and indescribable uh, challenges and, and, and difficulties and a world that we're living in which is so seductive and there's so much impurity all around and so much pulling in all directions. The fact that you have millions of Jews learning Torah, doing mitzvot, and we, we, you know, yes, we all have our moments of weakness, but in general, people are at it. You can't explain it psychologically. With human and limited, with human and limited powers, we should have been far overpowered by the satanic and dark forces. The answer over here is that there is a silent partner in, in all of our godly activities. Although we're the ones who have free choice and we're making choices from our finite calculations, but there is an infinite being that is empowering everything we're doing. When, whenever we are now doing action, especially in exile, especially at the end of exile, when the pressure of unholiness becomes like a pressure cooker, becomes so intense and so powerful, so overwhelmingly strong, and it should have kind of like splattered us already a long time ago, overran our 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 capacity, our spiritual capacity should have completely wiped us clean. We'll talk about the physical holocaust and the spiritual holocaust that are kind of pressuring and nonstop. The only way where we wake up every morning and still put on the tefillin and still keep Shabbat and still go out there and do goodness and, and we wait for Mashiach and we had so many letdowns and so we think he's coming and he didn't come and he think he's coming he's not here. So what makes us still be motivated? What saves us? The answer is we have no clue. The answer is our souls are so nullified to God that God is operating in us and through us. Although we are consciously making the decisions. And the reason, so it's almost like he is acting with us and through us. And because of that, every time we put on tefillin, every time we light a Shabbos candle, every time we still choose to act kind and giving, and do nice, good things. And for Gentiles, doing, doing, doing the following the ways of living moral, decent life when there's so much sometimes difficulties in doing something. Living a moral, ethical life when people are shout you down and say that if you believe so, you're a bigot and you're a this and a that because you believe in God and because you believe that there's sanctity to life. You believe there's sanctity to marriage and there is a man and a woman and these things. And you're being kind of uh, canceled and yelled at and kind of looked at as a who knows what and a, and I think it's becoming like even more and more and more every day and people that are just trying to be godly, trying to look at life as not just a place where you're just here to physically enjoy yourself, but there's deeper meaning to life. There's a holiness. There's a purpose to it. So how are we withstanding it? How are we making it through these last moments where, where the satanic forces have kind of unleashed themselves and have kind of pick and picked up the moral like uh, flag as if they're this is the morality and this is the goodness and this is the righteousness of the world how are people still holding in 
The answer is God has partnered with each and every one of us. Infinite and finite at the same time. And that's the meaning of our tshuva. In the end of days, we're going to do tshuva. Jews are going to repent, return to God. It's going to be a return that we choose to do, but it's but it's not us that made us the tshuva. It's the silent power that we don't even feel. It's utterly subconscious. It's utterly outside of our, it's not like a wind blowing us. It's like sometimes you experience something in life that's inspiring you and pushing you. You know, you see and witness the miracle, you saw something and it's like, that is compelling you. Yeah, there's no external compelling. But, but we are being compelled, but we're not being compelled. We're choosing, but we're choosing because. So there is a, God is in it together with us in this last and final battle. Whoever chooses to do good, and everybody has the capacity to do good. Whatever is choosing to live the right godly conscious life and to do goodness is doing it not by, by his or herself, but is doing it together. So the fact that we're choosing it is making it ours. The fact that God is the one who's empowering is making it totally God and totally us. That's the cool thing. And because of that, it's going to be both. We do tshuva, but it's not a tshuva of the month of Tishrei when it's just us. It's Nisan, it's God doing it, but God is doing it with us and through us. And the reason we were able to be, the reason we're able to facilitate that is because what we said earlier at the beginning, earlier in the class, the truth of who we really are in our finite night is not, is not because we're really finite, it's because an infinite being has, has chosen to, to create vessels that are vessels for his infinite, and that's who we are. So the real essence of the finite is really the infinite. And right now, this is the point, the time in history, where that deeper truth of our limited existence is, 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 is showing itself. That the truth of the, of the limited being is the infinite desire for that limited being To, to give the ultimate satisfaction. So today's days, we are all miraculous. Today's days, the goodness we do is so, so infinitely great, infinitely awesome. We shouldn't get heartbroken. We shouldn't get overwhelmed. We shouldn't think that we're, we're going to reach the, we're, we're getting there. In any moment, there's going to be so much joy, so much laughter. The laughter is going to be when it says it describes the coming of Mashiach. It says we're going to laugh. The laugh is going to be because we are, we are. It's going to be so absurd that we were able to create what we created. We're going to be so. We're going to also. It says we're going to cry uncontrollably because we're at that moment. We're going to. It's going to be like so overwhelming because at that moment we're going to see how difficult, how impossible it was, and yet we did it. And then we're going to recognize how much we and God are completely one. Now we totally one. We're totally merged with him. And we're able to in together have done this magnificence. So it will be unbelievably joyous, unbelievably amusing, and unbelievably deep. And it will be fantastic. And it's about to happen. Let's hope that this Nissan is already when all this will reveal itself. 
And when we read this Shabbos about a Chodesh as let's already introduce that new light and recognize the triumph is about to happen, the goodness is about to come. Don't get carried away by the banks falling and about all the threats and the economy and about the, this. What we're going to witness, what we're going to see, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not a prophet. But one thing is for sure. We are at the cusp of this incredible goodness and light and joy. This is just the garbage and this stuff is so temporary. Let's just stick to it. Keep on doing what we should ought to be doing. Shabbos, mikvah, kosher, charity, believe in mankind, smile to people. Don't get caught up with the rage and the anger. Stick to it. Recognize the sanctity of, of life, the importance of everything. And uh, let's see God in everybody and in everything and see the divine potential. Because every person, God wants the redemption to be for every human being. No one should, God forbid, be, be left behind. But even if we see people that seem to be so, not like, oh, you guys are doomed, God forbid. In one minute, they can also, people can open up to, 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 to who their, their deeper selves, the truer selves. And that's what is going to happen. Why shouldn't the whole world do tshuva? Tshuva takes a split second. But the more we pump it, those that are merited to study and learn and know these deep secrets, the more we can help the rest of humanity join in. Because Rat Hashem, we should see all of this already now.